Friday, developers. Today is November 17th, 2023, and welcome back to our roundup episode where you can catch up on episodes you missed and get a quick rundown of the past two weeks from Podrocket. So let's get started. In a world of JavaScript frameworks fighting for supremacy, Chance Strickland returned to talk about why he still chooses React and recounts the history of why React was and still is groundbreaking. I think historically, at least, devs, I think, have a tendency to just always want to do the new thing, especially if they see a, a critical mass forming around behind something else, even if you don't have everything down on paper, just because I think that instinct has been nurtured over time because it seems to generally prove true. If there is a bunch of support behind something, all of a sudden, like the old tech does start withering on the vine and the new thing is getting all the attention and eventually the job market shifts there and all that. But it's, I think, hard to step back and empirically look at what these frameworks and tools are giving you or like giving up when you make the switch a lot of the time in that vein what are the fundamental differences just to like contextualize this a bit between maybe react and some of like the what what's the what are the biggest features that react is still giving us today that would draw one to it sure yeah to me it's a number of things so if you like go back in time for a moment and if you weren't around in the early days of React, I wasn't either, to be fair. Like, I was not one of the early adopters, and I tried to make that clear, too. Like, I was still slinging uh, a lot of jQuery code back in the day when React was on the scene. And at the time, there were a number of new tools out that uh, are new to me. I had not actually explored them too much. Ember, Angular, I think were a couple. I have looked at them since, but it's interesting talking about, like, things withering on the vine because Angular is still pumping out strong. Like I know several folks on the team working on Angular, and I know uh, I actually recently gave a talk in an Angular conference. It's just another interesting experience, but that ecosystem is still thriving. And as React developers, we've got this like narrow scope of vision where we lose sight of the fact that things even older than React are still around and thriving, and people are still getting paid handsomely to build things in these other tools. I think that's some good context to have as well. But as far as the the contrast between React and things that may have come before. I think there were a few different pieces that that drew people to React. The obviously having a component model, I think it's like a pretty well-established thing that most folks in our space find some sort of component model really ideal for building UI, for being able to ship different pieces of your app in these small little contained units that we call components. I think we've all generally coalesced around that idea. No one's really pushed back on that in quite some time, or at least none of the tools that have actually taken off. So that was not really revolutionary, though, because Angular had components, Ember had components. Like We had ideas of components. They were just structured a bit differently. One of the things that React questioned was this idea or of separation of concerns, or I like to say it's like how you separate concerns. Things that we would normally call like controller responsibility suddenly set right next to your view responsibility, right? So that was a paradigm shift for a lot of folks that actually made a lot of people uncomfortable. But I I think we've come around to that side as well, because a lot of the newer frameworks have also embraced this idea of of coupling to a degree more responsibility at the component level and separating things by concern of components rather than view layer, controller layer, models, that sort of thing. But also, I think really to me, The core thing that set React apart, and this is the point I I made in the talk, is just that underlying mental model that I think still provides a lot of value. And it's a UI as a function of state, right? That was a core selling point for me. 
And I still haven't found an alternative that can make that promise the same way that React does and give me confidence that no matter what happens to the state of my application, my UI stays in sync. And that really was what React solved for Facebook developers back in the day. That was their main pain point was they they had this very complex web application with a lot of state, a lot of moving parts. Like you had messages, you had notifications, you had all these tools that all had to rely on a lot of the same data, but might show you different user interfaces to, to deal with that data. And they had all these synchronization issues, as almost everyone did who was building web applications at the time. And as these things got more complex, that the appeal of that and the underlying motivation for that was, hey, what if we just updated everything when the state changed, right? Um, that to me was the thing that made it click and the thing that still makes it click. Next, Amy Dutton, Redwood JS lead maintainer and educator, returned to talk about why design-driven development is influential in creating a great product and how Storybook can help teams achieve that. Now, when we introduced this talk, we mentioned Storybook. It's a player in, in our conversation we're going to have today. So let, let's bring Storybook into the picture. Um, how does Storybook help teams set foot the correct foot forward in design-driven development? Sure. So with any design, exactly what we've been talking about, there's a lot of iteration that's happening. And so trying to keep track of all of those iterations and to even build those small pieces and those components that eventually translate into your application, you really need a way to document that. And one of the things I don't think people entirely realize is that within product design, there are tons of variations for a particular component. And when you start taking in, say, six different viewports or three browser engines or touch, sight, and hearing, or even device capabilities like keyboard, mouse, touch, speech, or dictation, we're not even talking about different states with authorization, whether they see one thing or another, depending on whether they're logged in or not. You have color schemes for light and dark. There's contrast preferences. There's also directions. So if you're coming from a country or a language that reads right to left versus left to right, these are all considerations that you have to take into account when you're designing and when you're developing your application. And so one of the things that Storybook does really well is allowing you to view those and document those in a way that makes sense not only for you, but for your team. And especially as you continue to scale your team, someone new to the team can easily see what components have been built and the best way to use those components. So does Storybook give you a, an interactive experience to test different phenotypes and then combinations of these so that, like we, like we talked about earlier, you can collect data on user testing and document it right there? So the only way that you can, as far as I know, the only way that you can really do user testing within Storybook is if you were to conduct a user interview yourself and pull up Storybook to say, hey, what do you think about this? Um, Storybook is really great for, and this is just recent actually, is really great for unit testing. So when you're talking about building a component, a front-end component that a user is going to interact with, it makes sense that you would also test that in the context that they're using it. So testing it within the browser. So a lot of times people reach for Cypress or Playwright for these things, but Storybook actually has the functionality to be able to do that as well now, which is really interesting. That is really interesting. It's like an, a missing corner of their yeah. offering. Yeah. For sure. And the fact that you can see it visually as you're testing it. Unit testing is one of those things that pulls people over to play rate constantly. So it'll be interesting to see that interaction between them as time goes on. 
Right. And you can also run it headless. So for people that are thinking, man, I don't want to watch (laughs) all those tests run, you can still run that automatically or quickly through the terminal. And finally, David Sancho, software engineer at AREFS, came on to talk about functional programming and why coupled with the OCaml language helped his team solve a plethora of issues when working in a massive code base. The idea to functional programming is to, of course, uh, be more declarative instead of imperative. That's like the one sentence kind of thing. For me, it all started when, I don't know, eight or six or seven years ago, I started working with React. React kind of enforces you a little bit of purity or immutability style in your code. And that was the beginning for me. And I think for many people who adopted the, the stack of React and maybe Redux at the time or whatever state management. So all of this was interaction. And then I started getting while I was working on a big code base. I was working at Typeform at the time. And our code base was like insanely big. 30 people working on a more repo, monolith, or whatever. I started facing a lot of problems that functional programming pr- promised to solve. And every time that I, we adopted or we refactor uh, some of those patterns, those problems go, went away. So that's when I got hooked into it. Then the whole design space from React got inspired by Elm. So I rapidly tried to learn Elm as fast as possible. So and then when I started coding in Elm, that's where like the whole thing exploded and I realized that there's from the typical code that I do, from the, the entire degree of functional programming is, is super big. And yeah, that, I got hooked into that. Got hooked. Yeah, nice, nice. Yeah, it's a good story. So what, I guess, like, what is Reason then? And how does that help us when we're writing React? So yeah, Reason is a, a programming language, different programming language than JavaScript that I think it's, it's the, common, the most common one or TypeScript, JavaScript, I think are the most mainstream ones. Reason is a new programming language that uh, it's built on top of Okawa. Which that's it's an old programming language that comes from French academia from the 80s and tries to get back these functional paradigms from the start. So like the language is built on top of functional programming paradigms, but it's not extreme. That doesn't push it to extreme. So sometimes you can get away with what you want to do. It, it doesn't block you from pushing to production, block you to, to do like what you were are used to before. It has like a very strong uh, based on, on theory. So all the features compose together because they are being studied for a long time, which, which is something that you don't get when, while you work on other languages. But yeah, Camel is yeah, this niche language. So reason is just trying to get this whole theory, speed, and all this uh, perfect language tries to fit it into JavaScript people by giving a nice syntax that looks familiar. Because one of the blockers for Okamo is its syntax. It's a little bit old. It's a little bit like too polished, too functional, I would say. So people get very lost into that. So the creator of React, which is Jordan, created this kind of like syntax on top of Okamo. So you could instantly get up to speed to a language that has all these functional semantics ready for you that you can more or less map one-to-one with your JavaScript knowledge. And that's it for today, Friday, November 17th. You can check out the full episodes linked in our show notes or on our feed. And if you like what you hear, follow PodRocket for more great web development content. See you at the next roundup. This episode was brought to you by LogRocket. Try it for free at logrocket.com.